I'm going to borrow um, from Jack's verse for the title of my talk. Um, it's the second to last line. He knew joys coupled with sorrow. <laughs> and that's kind of what I'll be exploring here in the next few minutes. Um, Bob is here, Bob Klein-Hexel, and you are part of the inspiration for what I've been thinking about for the past month, because you gave a meditation about a month ago. And every once in a while when I'm listening to somebody or reading something, it's like the words appear and like bold and highlighted in front of me and they just kind of form this neuropathway in my brain. And in this case, you said, will you accept me watching Big Ten football with my friends as the world burns? <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, okay. <laughs> um, we could probably all substitute different activities if you're not a football fan, you know, dining out. How can I dine out? Go to a party, listen to music, take a nap while the world burns. And it sums up this tension that we live with when we are awake or woke. <laughs> as much as we talk about living a both and life that's expansive enough to hold everything, we always feel some sort of level of tension and angst if we are awake and listening. This was summed up um, in a, there's a series of comedy shows called Don't Tell Comedy. Has anybody heard of this? They're like comedy pop-up shows and you buy a ticket and they don't tell you where you're supposed to go until like half an hour before and you don't know who the comedian's going to be and all of this. But anyway, they're on, it, there's, and they're only like 10 minute sets. And so there's a channel on YouTube, Don't Tell Comedy, and one of the comedians um, that I caught, uh, the, the thumbnail attracted me because it said, being a liberal isn't fun. And you might know where I might go with this based on what I've been saying. He basically goes on about how being a liberal, you're too aware of everything. You're kind of hypersensitive to everything. You go to a party and it's like, oh, we're going to have organic microgreens and, you know, cage-free chickens and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And he's like, I'd rather go to my conservative relatives because they're like, we're going to shoot a pig when dinner's over. And he's like, that's way more fun. So, but he's also, you know, hinting at, as comedians do, some underlying truth about how, you know, we as liberals or progressives, if that's how you identify, do tend to be really aware of all of the various, you know, the joy and the trauma and everything that's going on in the world. Um, we're hyper aware of the tension. Electric cars that extol a cost on the environment going to a zoo and seeing caged animals. I felt it, oddly enough, when we were in Boston last year, um, I was at the aquarium, and there's this, if you've ever been to the Boston Aquarium, you know, like, the, in, this is probably true of a lot of aquariums, there's like a big cylindrical aquarium holder tank um, in the middle, and there are just fish swimming round and round and round. And I was watching them just swim round and round and round, and I thought, oh, this is so wrong. And it took everything I could to just sort of, um, a word that came up in our pre-talk was sort of compartmentalize. You know, I can't tell myself that the fish are probably injured and wouldn't survive in the wild like we can with zoos sometimes. Um, but it, I was just aware of this tension, like I want to enjoy these fish and how cool it is to see them up close 
And then I'm like, but they don't belong here. This is not their home. And, and so that, that tension, you know, it's a very sort of trivial example, but it's one place where it, it kind of shows up. There are precious metals in our beloved phones that we know are mined with, um, you know, maybe perhaps unethical practices or that are, ex again, extolling a, a toll on the environment. Um, we drink bottled water. We eat chocolate bars. We drink coffee. The beans, all of those things are um, extracted with great um, toil and trauma on the part of those people that are doing it. Um, I let the water run for a few seconds while I'm brushing my teeth and I don't need the water. I get carry out and I have plastic containers. And every time I throw away a piece of plastic that has a five or a six on it because I can't recycle it, it's like a little part of my soul dies. And so I can really start getting, you know, living in a lot of guilt um, for just the way I live, you know. And, and then I started thinking like, how can I possibly get annoyed? This happened two days ago, because Aldi doesn't have scallions for two days straight. When across the world, or even across town, there are people who don't have fresh food to eat, who don't have a car to go to the store once, let alone twice, and who might even be fleeing violence. Like, my mind just goes down the slippery slope of everything that could be wrong. How can I sleep in my warm bed knowing that there are people out in the cold and the snow who are probably hungry and feeling abandoned? How can I pass the panhandler standing at the intersection as I drive home with a car full of groceries? So maybe some of what I've said here, you've experienced um, yourself. And we live with this internal tension every day. More, how can I eat meat when I love animals so much? How can I travel by plane when I know how much damage flying does to the environment? And I can also get hung up on how I spend my days. There's so much need in the world. There's so much suffering, trauma, and division. I have skills, marketable skills, that could be useful. I have a heart that breaks on a regular basis and wants to give. And I'm sure you could say the same. But we don't all abandon everything we're doing and run and work for a nonprofit that feeds the hungry, cures the sick, or counsels the addicts. Some of us are artists, writers, dancers, musicians, athletes, comedians, florists, butchers, bakers, candlestick makers. The line between healing the world's trauma and the very real work these people do isn't as obvious. But if we're paying attention, it's obviously important. It's essential even. Because their work, and I, I keep having to tell this because it's like justifying to myself, this work injects beauty, Enjoy suspense, excitement, nourishment, humor, and mystery into our lives. If we're going to have the resilience to keep on keeping on in the face of the existential challenges that we hear about every single day, we need those people to remind us of our wholehearted humanity and to keep us in touch with our full range of emotions. We need a shelter in the storm, otherwise we would drown in those sorrows. And in fact, we'd wither under the weight of it all. If we think too much about the various local and global calamities that we live with, we'd be paralyzed. The reality of life is sometimes too much, and it's tempting to shut it out. That's one reason why I think that hardcore conservatives kind of fumble when they're asked to define woke. 
If they tell the truth about what it really means, they might be confronted with their own sleepwalking and hypocrisy. Once they know, they can't unknow. And when I think of woke, I think it's pretty easily defined, at least in my mind. You're conscious of and willing to be affected by past events, present reality, and future consequences. You're open to holding the messiness of it all while trying to do what you can to make the present and the future better by learning from the past. But that ideal can be a burden. Our brains can only hold so much tension before we experience a cognitive load that's too much. So we start filtering out what's not immediately important for our health or our safety or our ego. Again, we compartmentalize just to get through that moment. We've all heard that people say that the opposite of being woke is being asleep. And when you think about how much comfort can come from sleep, it makes a bit of sense why some people are happy to stay there. Sleep is one way that we shut out the world. I know napping, one of my favorite hobbies, is an escape for me when I'm overwhelmed or I'm procrastinating or I just want everything to stop for a little while. Life is exhilarating and it's also exhausting. There's a saying in entrepreneur circles, go big or go back to bed. <laughs> in the spirit of both and, I have always been an advocate of go big and go back to bed. But let's get back to the idea of being awake and what that requires of us. My thinking on this topic had a happy confluence or intersection with Richard Rohr and the emails that he sends out from the um, Center for Action and Contemplation. Um, you might be familiar with them. They're located in Albuquerque, and I know we've heard from Richard Rohr in different ways several times through different talks. And um, it turns out their theme for 2024 is radical resilience, engaging with a world on fire. So when I went to the summary email that was summing up some of the quotes from that week's newsletters, there were a number here that like really resonated with what I'm sharing with you right now. Here's what they say about this theme for the year. We live in a world on fire. As the flames of unjust societies, humanitarian disasters, and ecological crises flicker around us, it is easy to feel helpless and overwhelmed. How can we respond to this destructive era with wisdom, love, and peace. The path ahead will be challenging, but we will walk it together. This is why this year the daily meditations will explore contemplation as a way to build radical resilience, tending to our inner flame so that we can stand in solidarity with the world without burning up or burning out. And then that was linked to a short video um, made by Brian McLaren, who is a faculty member of the center. And he outlined four crises that they plan to engage with. One is climate crisis, the destroying of our planet. He used the phrase ecocide, which I had not heard before, but I thought, yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate. Um, poverty, the unequal distribution of wealth and power. Peace, which I thought was interesting. He says, we know we're in trouble, so we generate more weapons. So we're trying to broker peace with war. And religion. He said, religion has been on the sidelines. He said, as Thomas Merton called them, guilty bystanders selling people an evacuation plan rather than helping them participate in a transformation plan. Yeah. 
yeah, it's pretty scathing in a way. <laughs> um, and I like to think of C3 as being part of a transformation plan. I don't think we talk about evacuating, um, even if sometimes our, our, our fear can, can cause that, at least I'm speaking for myself. In another newsletter, Roar goes on to say, reality is paradoxical. If we're honest, everything is a clash of contradictions, and there is nothing on this created earth that is not a mixture at the same time of good and bad, helpful, helpful and unhelpful, enduring and maddening, living and dying. So when it comes to how we navigate this tension, all of these paradoxes, there are no easy answers. Sorry, Dick Kamishki. He asked for answers, and I said, I don't, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> He's out of here. He's like, I'm done. <laughs> that's what I came for, because that's what we crave, right? That's what we want. We like things to be kind of black and white and to have the answers. When you think about it, our fight or flight instincts apply to these situations, too because it's more, but this time it's kind of more driven by our hearts. My heart wants to say, stay and fight, to say that I would want to be one of those people that would suit up and run headlong into that world on fire. But then my heart also wants to flee or flight. It wants to protect itself because it knows how easily it could be crushed. My need for self-preservation takes over and tells me to run for the hills. So I don't have answers, but I do have a few ideas. And here are three that have helped me, um, and I'm still working with them and still grappling with them, and maybe they will help you. The first is that we have to set aside our ego, our hero impulses, that we are the ones that will save the day. And that's really, really hard to do, both saving the day and setting aside our egos. Because who doesn't want to be a good person? And by good person, we often mean someone who is selfless, who always helps, gives, feeds, shelters, hugs. One of the most freeing ideas came to me when reading a book called Gifts of the Dark Wood, Seven Blessings for Soulful Skeptics and Other Wanderers um, by Eric Elms. I looked in the book, I have the Kindle edition so I could scan, because I remember I read this book back when I was in Tacoma, so it's probably been eight or nine years, and I remember that the one thing I took away from it was this question, what's my work to do? And I thought he actually referred to that phrase in the book, but I could not find it, so I'm wondering where I got that, but that's what stuck with me, It's this question, what's my work to do? We can't do it all, and we aren't meant or expected to do it all. So can we release that pressure and focus what's on, on what's ours to do and do that with our whole heart? Isn't that aligned with being a good person if we are generously contributing our gifts to the world and our knowledge in a way that's adding something beautiful or useful? That simple question, what's my work to do? has helped me dozens of times, if not hundreds probably, to recognize when something isn't my work and to release it to the person to whom it belongs. It also helps me to practice self-compassion, that I'm not going to be well-suited for every thing that needs to be rescued or saved or solved. If we can't solve it, then maybe what can we do to soften it? What's our small contribution that is part of our work? 
The second is patience and faith. To let go of the need for answers or for the problem to be done and dusted while we're still around. Another thought from Richard Rohr. He wrote, I am talking about just holding the tension, not necessarily finding a resolution or closure to paradox. We must agree to live without resolution, at least for a while. I think opening to this holding pattern is the very name and description of faith. Life as a whole is liminal. We are always in transition. We are always in the in-between space between, that sits after what we know and before the unknown. At the end of the day, it's all unknown. There really is no such thing as certainty. We can literally take nothing for granted because ultimately we have no control over anything, not even our own breathing, or the idea that just because our heart is beating this morning means that it'll still be beating tonight. Yet we operate on faith and hope and trust. We acknowledge the tension and we choose to trust instead of never leaving the house or never giving our love to someone or never, never putting ourselves at risk in any way. With little awareness, really conscious awareness of what we're doing, every morning when we get up, we're basically saying, bring it on. <laughs> and we trust that we can handle whatever happens. The third idea is to remember that we're all in this together. It can be tempting to seal yourself off, to remove yourself from the world. I don't know how many times my husband and I have been like, I just want to crawl into bed and curl up in the fetal position and say, wake me up when it's all over. Consider these words that capture the urge to become stoic and detached from it all. I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. And the closing lines of that song, and a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. Simon and Garfunkel offered us a song that seems to be about being tough, but really, it's about the pain of vulnerability. And it amplifies the fact that we are not meant to go through life alone. We can't go through it alone. Now, you might remember, and I'm glad Bernie is here, his message to us on New Year's Eve was about the necessity, at part of the root of it, was about the necessity of family and community coming together to counteract the forces of evil. Before speaking with him, I had been feeling fearful about what our country has been careening towards. I was wondering if I would have the strength and courage to do my part if the worst case scenarios actually happened. I'm still afraid, but since listening and hearing his story, I'm reconnected with the idea that I am not a rock, I am not an island, and that I have community. I have this community, we have this community. We don't have to go it alone, we have each other. And finally, a bonus idea. And this also came up in pre-talk. We can make small choices and remember that they do make a difference. We can vote, we can recycle, we can drive a hybrid car, we can take public transit, we can carpool, we can consolidate our trips. We donate to causes and candidates that we care about and believe in. We can bring items for week three at C3. We can shop locally and support small businesses. We can bring our own bags to the store. We can smile at a stranger. We can say thank you 
hold the door open, let someone in when the lane is ending on the highway. That's the hardest one of all. (sighs) And every single day, I make choices that contradict my values. I have to live with that. My hope is that I make many more choices that align with them and that I'm putting more good into the world than I'm doing harm. In this extremely complicated, interconnected world, maybe that's the best that any of us can hope for. Just because we can't do it all doesn't mean we do nothing. We can all do something. We just have to ask ourselves, what's my work to do? I'm going to give the last words to a prayer also shared by the Center for Action and Contemplation. And this is by Cole Arthur Riley, found in her book, Black Liturgies, where she prays for our capacity to hold together the extraordinary and the ordinary. God, and I might say thread of love and life that runs through every beautiful thing, make us people of wonder. Show us how to hold on to nuance and vision when our souls become addicted to pain, to the unlovely. It is far easier to see the gloom and decay. So often it sings a louder song. Attune our hearts to the good stirring in our midst. Not that that we would give ourselves to toxic positivity or neglect the pain of the world but that we would be people capable of existing in the tension. Grant us habits of sacred pause. Let us marvel not just at the grand or majestic, but beauty's name etched in every ordinary moment. Let the mundane swell with a mystery that makes us breathe deeper still. And by this, may we be sustained and kept from despair. Amen and namaste.